Good morning, buenas tardes, whatever time or wherever you may be when you're listening to this. Welcome and thank you for being here. I'm here to bring you people from various backgrounds. Authors, actors, educators, athletes, politicians, and more. People that I think are interesting and hope you will too. Today's special guest is part of one of the biggest sports talk radio shows in the United States. He's also the co-owner of a golf apparel brand celebrating the golden era of the game. Golf seems to be a pretty common theme with our guest and his host. An extremely talented, insightful, and friendly person. The executive producer of The Jim Rome Show. My friend, Adam Hawk. Sit back, relax, or listen while on your morning jog. I'm Alex Atarain, and this is episode 5 of Candidly Human. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 5 of Candidly Human. As always, I am your host, Alex Atarain. Very happy to be with you all today. Another great episode stands right before you all. And as always, make sure, check out CandidlyHuman.com. All of our episodes are there. Check us out on Facebook. Just look up Candidly Human. Go to Twitter, Instagram. It's at CandidlyHumanUS. Make sure you go ahead and do that. Give us a follow. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And speaking of where you can find us too, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, so many places where you can find Candidly Human. It's amazing. Today's guest, Adam Hawk, so much fun to talk to. He is the executive producer of the Jim Rome Show, one of the most popular sports talk radio programs in the nation. So it's amazing to get his insight as to what it was like to transition to COVID rules in the radio station. Talked about his kids, his golf apparel brand, Nation Golf, which is very, very dapper, if I say so myself. A lot of great conversations and I do think it is one that we can appreciate and we even go into talking about some things that we hope are adopted once we get out of this pandemic. So without further ado, let's get candid with Adam Hawk. Go, hey Hawk, how's it going? Alex, it's going great. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for reaching out and I'm happy to be here. No, absolutely. I I appreciate you taking the time to be here. You know, it's, uh, you're a busy dude. I mean, I imagine that uh, being the executive producer of a pretty big uh, nationally syndicated sports talk program uh, takes up a bit of your time. Yeah, it does. Um, it's a lot of, you know, there's the show and working on the show. And then obviously what we talk about are things that we see on TV. So it's not just like being there and doing the show. It's also about being at home and following a 24-7 sports news cycle, watching games every single night. And, um, you know, now that all of these guys are on Twitter and Instagram, that has become such a great source of content for people in my business to talk about because these athletes are now availing themselves in new ways that they've never done before. And they're doing it 24 hours a day. So not only are you watching the games, but you're paying attention to what they're doing on social media all the time too. Next time you listen to sports radio, whether it's our show or anybody else's, listen to how many times they bring up something, listen to how many times the hosts bring up something that they saw or heard or read on social media and listen to how much content is generated off of what these athletes are now giving us that they used to not give us. It's a 
it's a whole new world. So not to be redundant, but it is watching the games and then it's watching all these guys on social media as well. Oh yeah. And you know, if you're an athlete or somebody in sports, you don't want to give Jim Rome the artillery. Why do you want to do that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's always good fun, right? Like he's the master of bringing all that stuff into the show and kind of like a, I mean, weaponizing sounds like a very bad word uh, to kind of describe this, but it's content. He's he's using it for content, and it's always great stuff. Because I've I've listened to Jim Rome and and your guys' show since about 2014, 15, back when I was down in San Diego for school. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh listening to you guys at the time on 1090. So great well, yeah, it was yeah yeah back back at the mighty 1090. So. Uh, that's where I was listening to it at the time because I would go to school, you know, nine o'clock and that's what I was listening to on my way to school is uh, you guys. And I mean, you didn't come into the picture until uh, two years later, right? You're, you've been with the program since 2016, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I came in late 2016, October 2016. So if you started uh, in 2015, then or 2014, yeah, it would have been a couple of years. So I came into the picture. So you got like the tail end of the Kyle Brandt era. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So before I keep this going, I always like to ask uh, my guests kind of a random question. And yeah. sometimes it pertains to something that's recently happened to me. So I'm going to ask you this. Have you had a time where you've been defeated by an at-home appliance? Um, uh, I mean, of course, I'm trying to think about when it recently happened. I think the most recent time it happened was my dryer broke and you don't really know what you have until you don't have it anymore <laughs> and when your dryer breaks it's kind of like your washer machine breaks too because there's no point in having a washer machine anymore because you can't dry so you you're you're rendered without laundry that's the most recent time an appliance has kind of gone out on me what about you well it happened today <laughs> uh-huh. um i actually it was not so much an appliance but it's the kitchen sink right so I, I had a lapse in judgment last night and I threw ramen noodles into the sink. And I, I mean, I, I got it through the, through the grinder and then this morning it's like, oh, the water's not going down. So I go under the sink and I start taking everything apart and lo and behold, it's even further into the wall it looks like. So now uh-huh. it's like, I just took all this apart. It's not going to work. So I went down to, you know, a local hardware store and bought whatever product to go ahead and unclog it. And mm-hmm. because we just moved, like there was some stuff that we still left back in Palm Springs. So a plunger being one. So I had to go buy a plunger and yeah. I went ahead and I did one, one, uh, serving or whatever, one dose of the unclogging stuff. Yeah. That didn't work. Never and I, does. And I tried it one more time. Because I figured, okay, because we have the the two sides of the sink, and I figured, oh, let me try it on the other side because this looks like it's a more more direct path into where this would be. That didn't work either. And then I realized, like, okay, we have a bunch of dishes stacking up, and I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna look at the dishwasher and see if something happens if I just turn the water on in there. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, the water started rising up in the sink because oh. you have both connected. I'm like, why is it like this? And so now I I had to give up and I had to surrender and let maintenance know that uh, I'm an idiot and put ramen noodles down the sink. So what now? I have to wait till tomorrow to get my 
my sink fix. So I'm going to be like 24 hours without being able to wash my dishes. And I had to drain a bunch of water. Yeah. Well, is there water standing in your sink still? Cause that's the worst. No, I, I actually drained it. I, I went underneath the sink again, drained it. I mean, it's nasty. I had, a, I had showered and then I had mm. a shower again, like two hours later because it, it, it smelled like shit. Like it was bad. Yeah, of course. It's gross. That water gets nasty. It's, it's, it's really nasty. Um, I've had that happen a few times. I think everyone's had plumbing problems with the sink. That's, that's no fun at all. Um, and then the worst part is you're going to get a professional who comes over and fixes it. And instead of just fixing it and leaving, they're going to fix it. And they're going to tell you how they fixed it and what they did. And they're going to give you this all, all this information you don't want or don't need. This is something Alvin Delora and I talk about all the time <laughs> is when a professional comes over to your house to do something, you exchange money for them to do it and for them to leave. But it's never good enough for a plumber. A plumber always wants to get under the sink with you and show you exactly what they did. And I've got nothing against the profession or anything, but dude, I don't know and I don't care. That's why you're doing it. Just do it and let's skip this 10 minute lecture where I just go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, yep. Cause I don't know what you're talking about. Just fix the sink, leave me alone and get out of here. This has already been a big enough ordeal for me. I don't need to hear like a, a plumbing lesson. You know what I mean? And you're gonna yeah. get that plumbing lesson tomorrow. The guy, people who fix things cannot help but tell you exactly how they fixed it. And, and I don't know why they don't always think about the fact that if you wanted to know that information, you would have found it out and you would have done it yourself, but you don't want to know because you don't really care that much. <laughs> and look, I, I think, so I think they get off on rubbing salt in the wound. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's that too. I, that's a great point. I'm going to steal, I'm going to steal that take and amend it to my take right there. That is a great point. They do love to just kind of put it right in your face. So now I know when I listen to the show, I'm like, I did that. I inspired yep. something in the show. And and I'm sure that you guys get a lot of that too. And I was listening to a segment not too long ago. Obviously, you guys take a lot of emails. It's a great skit where you guys get uh, very creative emails. Yeah. Do you guys ever get like any ideas out of those? Because I know you guys get some really creative emails. 100%. Um, that's a massive part of our program. I like to break down the show into two different sectors. There's the five to nine, which is 5am to 9am, which is when we're prepping the show. And then there's the nine to noon, which is when we're doing the show. You can prep all you want. And we prep a lot and do the show that you have planned. And then one great email, one great phone call, one great tweet can beget another great phone call, great tweet, great email. And then all of a sudden you've got this thread going, or maybe you don't even need the thread. Maybe the email uh, harpened on a reset. That's just fantastic from 10 years ago that Jim hasn't heard in a long time. It triggers something in his brain that he wouldn't have thought about otherwise. And now he's riffing on that, or he's talking about tour stops. So the listener has a whole lot of power to make the show organically go in a direction that we could have never foreseen coming. So yes, we get a lot of, lot of great ideas from the emails, not just with people setting up things that we wouldn't have thought about, but also them, you know, as a producer, you have to have your eyes and your ears open to everything. And you have to be very discerning about all this information coming into you. Um, if you haven't seen something and you know, it would be great for the show. Like someone hits you with like a topical news story that would just be great for the jungle. You're like, okay, great. I'm glad that this was shown to me because 
you know, my Twitter mentions are now blowing up all the time. Um, and people are always putting news stories in front of us like that. And then there's also times where people will tell you something that's complete bullshit <laughs> and you have to vet that if something sounds too good to be true, too funny to be true, you do have to look into like what people are telling you as well. And they could be getting duped as well. You know, someone will send you a story that they might think is real. And then you just see that it's from some website you've never heard of and it's not real. And yeah, there's, there's a lot that a lot of inspiration that we pull from the listeners and Jim has empowered his listeners to do that, which is a wonderful tool. Not every host can do that um, because he has spent a lot of time grooming and training the listener to make the show better instead of bringing the show down. And for the most part, our listeners do make the show a lot better. Yeah. And, and it's funny because whenever I would listen to it, obviously the jungle is very interactive. Whenever he brings up something like they're boom, they're on it. Right. And what was the website? There's a website that a listener made that's just dedicated to the jungle. Yeah. What was it? Do you, do you have that off the top of your head? Oh yeah, that website is stucknut.com. Stucknut, yes, and that's a and, reference to way back. Yeah, right, to an old school product called PB Blaster, which if I, if I was, it was from way before my time, but if I know the story correctly, PB Blaster was some kind of like WD-40 uh, kind of lubricant that would get things unstuck. And I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think it was if, your nut is stuck grab some pb blaster or something like that <laughs> do you know what i'm talking about i i i know he's talked about it a few times but yeah. it just it escapes me like maybe maybe i just i just wasn't around to to know the reference yeah so it's it's from way before 2014 so if that's when you started listening it, it precedes us both but that listener steve in h-town uses the handle stuck nut uh, for Twitter, which is a reference to the PB Blaster commercial. And then he also has a website, stucknut.com, where he archives every single phone call and every single take that um, that he likes and interview. Wow. And so it's just a colossal jungle library. And on top of that, he created a forum where the clones can talk back and forth about the show. Now that obviously that feature of the website was a lot more useful before Twitter. Now they just kind of do that on Twitter. But at the same time, like he cultivated, Steve did a really great community, a digital community for the show. And um, he's, uh, he deserves a lot of credit because even though he was never told to do this and we don't, we, we don't have a relationship with Steve in the sense of like, Hey, put this up, take this down. None of that. Um, he does what he wants and, He's very, very respectful to what we do. But um, if you think about it, like these callers can use his website to go back and listen to what other callers said. So if they missed it, they can easily look it up. That makes their call stronger because they get to reference something that was on the show. So Steve is doing a great service to the jungle by keeping everybody connected and keeping everything easy to listen to, easy to archive, easy to call back on. Um, and I have leaned on Steve a lot during my tenure as executive producer, because when you come into something as big as the Jim Rome show, and it's been this giant barge out to sea for 30 years, and you're just on it for the last five, I got to know about the previous 25 without getting in a time machine and stucknut.com and Steve have been a huge help with that for sure. So 
that's the stuck nut. <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely incredible. And you mentioned people being able to go back to calls. I mean, the Smack Off is one of the biggest events of the year, and people need to go back. They want that golden ticket. They have to yep. go back and get those calls and, and kind of build upon that. If people don't know what the Smack Off is, it's, I mean, you, you'll, you're much better at telling us what, what it is. So go, it's all yours. The Smack Off is a once a year event that is 26 years old. It will be 27 this year. Um, it's an invitation only event where the best callers to the show are invited to, for one day, take over the show. It's, it's unlike anything else in radio where we don't pay attention to anything going on outside of the show other than the callers that day, the invited callers. So like, we're not going to give you a take or an interview. We're not going to pay attention to any breaking sports news. We are just going to roll call after call of the best of the best. And um, they get a longer leash that day. So you're going to hear phone calls that are three, four or five minutes long. Um, which is crazy to think about. Imagine like being on the radio for five minutes and you're just going off and you're being judged by how well you speak, what you're saying, how funny your delivery is, how hard it's landing, what Twitter is doing in terms of reacting. And now as of the last four years, you're on television as well, which puts you into every household that we weren't previously in when it comes to markets. So the stage is much bigger than it's ever been. It trends on Twitter every single year. And if you, you know, like if you were to explain this to someone who had never heard it before, they'd be like, so for three hours, callers just talk shit about each other. That's good radio. And you'd be like, not only is it good radio, it's the best three hours of radio every year. It's the biggest event in radio. There's no bit in radio that is 27 years old, except the smack off. It's a legacy event. Um, when you win it, people remember your name forever. Off the top of my head, out of 27 Smack Offs, I believe there are only 14 or 15 winners because you've got your multiple winners. You've got Brad, who's got five, Kaplan Asian, who's got five, Left, who just won his third. Um, and then you got all the other people that have won um, once. So, I mean, it's, it's a really, really cool thing. And it's really interesting surprising, unique, funny to hear all these people around the country who have this immense amount of talent to talk shit for three, four, five minutes and to make it funny and compelling. Um, and then the other thing I would say is like, what other show are you going to win $5,000 for being an excellent shit talker, you know, or be judged for it to begin with or have Twitter react to you and like have your picture shown on television in a montage while you're doing it all. It's, <laughs> it's a fantastic thing. So um, there's this website called the big lead. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but yep. it's a great website. Um, my friend over there, Kyle Coster, who's the lead writer, did a entire expose on the smack off where he interviewed a bunch of callers for it. Um, definitely worth the read because it's interesting. They all kind of equated it to professional wrestling. Now, there would be a faction who would hear professional wrestling and think that's kind of corny and campy. Like, you don't want to be equated to professional wrestling. I disagree. Professional wrestling is all about, like, playing a character and putting on a show and never breaking that character for the sake of the show. So the idea is, like, you envelop this character so much that the audience believes it's real, even though they know it's fake. So 
I don't think any of these callers actually hate any of the other callers because they don't know them. I think that they do such a wonderful job of enveloping these characters that they've created that that's why so many of them equated it to professional wrestling because in professional wrestling, it's not just getting in the ring and throwing your body around. Most of it is what they say in professional wrestling is cutting a promo and cutting a promo is when you know, a wrestler grabs the mic and hypes up the match or talks shit to the other wrestler or just like, you, you know, you, you can be a savant on the microphone. Like The Rock wasn't just one of the best wrestlers in the ring. He was one of the best ever on the microphone. So the, and do you think The Rock like really like raised one eyebrow and would walk around and tell his kids if you smell what The Rock is cooking? No, he was just putting on a show. But when he was putting on the show, he would never break that character. So I guess what I'm saying is like, you've got these people who are putting on a show nonstop and doing such a good job at it that you start to believe like in what they're selling because they're selling it so well. That is a talent. And my hats are off to all the people that compete in the smack off. You have to have serious balls to do it because if it goes wrong, whether it's the smack off or just a regular call in the gym room show, you're fucking dead. I mean... <laughs> Your voice, your drop, your flame out is going to get replayed nonstop for <laughs> years, you know? So everyone that enters that arena has my respect. And um, anyone that doesn't like the smack off, doesn't like the callers, they, they don't, they honestly do not get it. They don't get how hard it is, how brave you have to be to do it and how talented you have to be to continue to weave like the threads of the storylines of the show and just advance the conversation against one another. Um, it's a completely different subsection of sports talk radio. I mean, what other show has that? There isn't, you, you would have to work so hard to create something where callers like went in on each other like that. It's, it's, it's one of a kind, it's unique. It's, it's almost 30 years old. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, I take a bunch of pride in the fact that I've been there for five of them. And I, I love the smack off. Do you like the smack off? I, I do. I do. It's, it's very much like a, it's a culture. It's very cultural within the show. And it's, again, it's one of the biggest events of the year. And especially in sports talk radio, because there, like you said, there's nothing like it. There's nothing that you can go ahead and look back. It's like nothing has lasted this long mm -hmm. in comparison to the smack off. And you also mentioned that, in comparison to how long the show's been on, you the TV aspect, the simulcast aspect, is still fairly new. So you've been an EP for other shows in the past, and then when you go into the Jim Rome show, you it was about a year until you guys actually made the transition over into TV as well. So how was that for you and, and for the listeners as well? Such a great question. Um, it was it was insane. It was like, whoa, every, we're going to be on television and we're just going to be kind of sitting here like typing and looking at our phones and answering uh, the calls that come in and like running emails in. Like people are going to want to watch that. And then, you know, they assured us, yeah, people want to see behind the curtain. They want to see Jim. They want to see you guys. And um, it gives you guys like, if you think about it, like if you're not in, on in these markets like Miami or Chicago, because they're very apt to running local programming all day. So they can talk about the bears and the bulls and you know, the Chicago teams, or you talk about the dolphins and the heat in Miami, whatever. So that's no longer an issue because if you've got television, 
at your house, then you essentially have a visual radio. So now we're on in all these new places too. So it wasn't just like, hey, they're going to be filming us now. It's like, hey, we're on in all these places that we weren't on yesterday. Like one of the hardest parts about being a national show is fighting for affiliates. And affiliates are all of these local stations across the country that decide, hey, instead of Colin Coward, I'm going to take Jim Rome. Instead of Dan Lebetard, I'm going to take Jim Rome. You were battling constantly for these local affiliates. It was really like to get the kind of markets that you get when you go on television that, that takes like years it takes a lot of business lunches it takes a lot of finessing and then like all of a sudden it's like holy shit we're on everywhere now like anyone can turn their television on and, and watch this show listen to this show um and then you know with the visual component we have the phone number up all the time so we started getting calls from people we had never heard from before because it says call now. And like, you know, I, I firmly believe a lot of people are just channel surfing and they saw Jim Rome on TV and they saw that they could talk to him live and they picked up the phone and they started calling because it's like, why wouldn't I talk to Jim Rome live? I had no idea that he was on TV, let alone I could call and be on TV myself. So now, we, now we've got this whole new audience of participation. Then there was... Um, you know, I really leaned into, I think everyone wants to be on TV themselves. So let's tell them if they start DMing me their pictures, we will put those pictures on TV during their phone calls. And I mean, you go and tell most people like, hey, you want to be on TV today? They say yes. And so that really enticed more participation because people were like, hey, I'm going to see my picture on TV when I call instead of just hear my voice. Um, I can tell people to watch me on TV now. And that's really cool for people to tell other people. So the switch to television has been huge um, and it can't be understated like how much it kind of like changed the show in terms of like exposure. However, it did not change the show in terms of content because our audience consumes us on radio far more than they consume us on TV. That's because Jim has been on radio for 30 years. People are used to hearing him there. Um, so you have to think to yourself, like, never do you walk into the job and go, we're doing a TV show on the radio. No, never. We're doing a radio show on TV. You have to continue to do the show for the radio audience. If you didn't do the show for the radio audience, you would take shortcuts because you would be leaning on the visual aspect. And then the people in their car wouldn't know what you were talking about. You would start playing audio um, that doesn't make sense because it doesn't paint the picture the way you used to have to paint the picture on radio. I don't know if you ever watched, I know you're in Southern California. Did you ever watch Vin Scully do Dodger games? Uh, a little bit, yes. Okay, so Vin Scully did a simulcast, which is exactly what we're doing right now. He was on television, but he was also on the radio. He would always do the show for the radio audience because if someone hits a ground ball to second base, if you watch that on TV, nine times out of 10, the announcer on television isn't going to tell you that there's a ground ball to second base because you can see it. They know they're on TV only. They don't need to call that play. It's not that exciting. It's rather routine. So they would just say, um, you know, and uh, Kyle Lewis grounds out two down, whatever. That's what they would say. So imagine if you're in your car and Vin Scully just said that you wouldn't have any idea what happened um, because it wasn't described to you. Vin Scully, knowing that it was a simulcast, would say, 
swung on hard hit ball second base he's up on it throws it to first kyle lewis is out two down and he, he would really paint the picture the tv audience isn't mad at vin scully for doing that because it's they're they don't know what you know you're hearing it but you're not like hey, hey he's, he's telling me too much you don't think that mm -hmm. but the radio audience is happy he's doing that because they're in their cars and they get the full picture that's a long way of me saying like Jim is still doing a radio show for the radio audience because if you start taking away things and leaning on visuals, that radio audience suffers a lot. So we're a radio show on TV, not a TV show on the radio, and we'll always be that way. So that's a really long-winded way of saying <laughs> a lot has changed exposure-wise for us. Um, nothing has really changed content-wise for us. It's the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? And mm -hmm. what's really amazing is um, over the last, you know, two decades and, and really specifically the last two decades, there's been a big conversation about, you know, radio dying, right? But mm -hmm. um, I teach radio production at a community college back home. And I tell my students, it's not so much that it's dying. If you're looking at terrestrial radio, sure, but it's evolving, right? Like you're adding visual aspects to it. You're getting a broader audience uh, you're doing uh, on demand so many different things that you're providing now that can still keep your ratings up. Right. And again, it's not so much that it's dying. It's just evolving. At least that's, yeah. that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. I would agree with you that it is evolving. Um, and you have to kind of evolve with it or you get left behind. Um, a lot of program directors now are trusting their eyes instead of their ears it used to be hey what am i hearing does that sound good i mean that's radio how does this sound now it's what am i seeing and what i mean by what am i seeing is what kind of traction is this host getting on twitter what kind of placement are they getting on blogs if they say something am i going to be on the internet in two hours and see that it's on the internet mm -hmm. will that video of that person saying it on the radio be on my twitter feed so anyone who's trying to get into radio right now should understand that the digital component to it is it's not supplementary anymore if i said that correctly it's, it's not a supplement anymore it is a requirement you have to be putting your content out in as many places as you possibly can whether it's youtube whether it's twitter whether it's clips on your instagram i mean you're recording this zoom um you're recording it in two different places one for the people who are just going to listen to it on audio and one for the people who can watch it, whether you put these clips on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. So that's very smart by you. This, everything that you're doing right now is what radio hosts have to do. And they have to uh, understand that like the most important screen in the world right now is this screen right here. This is everything. Your phone screen is everything. It's in your pocket. It's where everyone has access to mindlessly scroll Twitter and Instagram, YouTube, look at text messages, go on TikTok, whatever. You have to fight your way into this every single day. Like when people are in their car, you got them for 10 minutes, maybe 15. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you, you're fighting for that, that screen time now, not, not their ears on the radio because, you know, if, if you want to really like go back and listen to a show, that you'd like, you'll find it. You're smart enough to find it, but where are you finding that? You're finding it on your phone. You're going on Spotify and finding the podcast there. Then you're plugging it into your car. Like 
it's no longer about like, do people have the technology for it in their car? Dude, they'll figure it out. Whether you're putting a tape adapter in to like convert your phone to play out of your speakers, or you've got a Bluetooth connection, or you have Sirius XM, the audience now is smart enough to know what they want and know that they can get it when they want. And TV showed us this, right? Like how many shows do you watch when they air? I mean, most shows you're catching, if it's not on a streaming platform, which is 100% on demand, the entire mm -hmm. concept of streaming is to watch it when you want. But even if you're like going to your cable television, more often than not, like you're dialing up a show on demand or you've DVR'd it or something. I mean, Alex, like when's the last time you sat down and you're like, well, I got to catch this show at eight, you know, like that doesn't happen, right? It doesn't. The only time I do that is for a game. You know, I don't really watch linear television. It's yeah that I've, you know, cord cutting millennial. <laughs> yeah, we all are now. And even like if you're not a cord cutting millennial and you have cable and you're you're out of that demo, um, you're still once, once you realize like, hey, uh, Real Housewives of OC aired yesterday, but I don't care that I missed it because I can click on demand on Charter and just pop it up right now and fast forward to commercials. Hey, you're never going to watch it when it airs ever again. And it's really interesting. You said the only thing that you watch is a game live. That's true for everybody now. That's why sports yeah. broadcasting rights are so expensive because it is the last frontier of something where you need to be there at a certain time. That's that's what it is. You know, people are always like, hey, baseball should shorten their season. 162 games is too long. Uh, yeah, it is way too long. And I love baseball. No one needs that six days a week for six months, except the owners and TV stations who have live programming 162 nights a week. No other season in sports provides live programming for as long as baseball does. So they have no incentive at all to shorten the season because every game is money. It's absolute money. And it doesn't matter that it's coming at the expense of the fans or the expense of their product. These regional sports networks, you know, we're here in Southern California, you've got a, what is Fox sports now called Bally, Bally or something? Like yeah. That. yeah. Then you've got a spectrum sports net. Um, what are the Padres on? Are they on Cox still? Uh, they're on Bally. They're on Bally. Okay. So those companies are paying an, an insane amount of money because they get this stuff live. And it's like you said, Alex, that's the only, that's the last thing you're going to watch live. It's the last thing anyone watches live. Um, to come back to like radio evolving and everything is like, you don't have to listen to Jim Rome at nine in the morning anymore. You can listen to Jim Rome afterwards because we publish something called the daily jungle podcast. You can go get it on stuck nut. You can get it on our YouTube channel. You can get it on Spotify. Um, there's 10 different ways to listen to the show that are not live and your students, they're smart. They're young. They go to college. They're, they're 10 years younger than us. They, they now know I never have to find anything live anymore. It has to cater to me. And if you are not catering to the audience and making things as easy for them to find you in all places, whenever they want, then you will lose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And to kind of go back to the money part of it, and also, you know, the current environment with uh, COVID and all that, um, obviously, there were a lot of cutbacks back in March, April of 2020. But I know for you guys, obviously, with the way that you guys operate, because obviously now you're looking at a nationally syndicated 
broadcast and not something that's just local. So obviously local stations had to go ahead and maybe do some cutbacks in terms of, you know, maybe they didn't have a show for a week until they figured out what were, what they were going to do. How are, how were they going to broadcast? How are they going to get people into the station? Right? So mm-hmm. when all of that kind of went down, what was your guys's approach and how, how did that kind of go in, in the following weeks? Yeah. Great question. So like, just to take you through it, I think, you know, it hit everyone at the same time, like the whole country, what, what's going on? What are we going to do? Or do we have a job? The, the same kind of questions that everyone else had is what we had too. Um, like the NBA shut down when Rudy Gobert popped positive. We were on a call that night, like what's going on? Are we coming in? Yeah, we're coming in. Um, okay, let's do it. So we came in and the entire show did itself because it's a once in a lifetime, not a once in a generation, like a once in a lifetime story. The sports world is shutting down over this invisible enemy called coronavirus that we know nothing about. Okay. So not only did the show do itself the next day or that day, it did itself the next day because more leagues started shutting down. March Madness got shut down. And I would say for about three or four days, we had radio that was just, you just wake up and the, the, the story is doing itself. Um, and then we looked around all of us and I remember it distinctly. And we said, okay, this is going to wear off. The shock of this is going to wear off really soon. And we're all going to look around and realize we do sports radio and there aren't any sports. Like imagine like being a food server, but they don't make food anymore. Like, what are you going to do? You you paint houses, but they don't have paint anymore. Like you just immediately think we're so screwed. <laughs> well, what are we going to talk about, Alex? There's no games. There's There were no games for months. What do you talk about in that situation? So we had to get extremely creative and we did. And I'm really proud of the way that we handled it. And because we had, you know, four people in a really big studio environment and we were deemed essential from day one because broadcasting was deemed an essential service doesn't matter what you're broadcasting about obviously sports are not essential but the idea of broadcasting is essential because if there needed to be an emergency message conveyed you're sitting behind a microphone with access to a lot of people so the government from day one said if you were in broadcasting you are allowed to go to work our situation at work allowed us to socially distance because it's a big, big environment with a few amount of people. It's Jim, Alvin, me, Garrett, four people in a giant studio that and we, we sit six feet apart to begin with. Mm-hmm. So we checked every box. So we're like, okay, we have our jobs. Let's, let's keep them now. Let's work hard to keep them. Let's give people a reason to tune in. Um, and we did, we found like some B-side stories when I say B-side stories, like the A-sides were gone. You know, there there weren't box scores or games to talk about anymore. So it was now like, how can we kind of focus in like on pop culture? How can we reset old stuff? How can we entice the callers to call more? And we did because it was like, hey, you guys are all at home right now. You're not doing anything. We did one show where it was like, call in and tell us your COVID-19 routine. And people called in and they told us like what they did when they woke up how they weren't putting pants on anymore because they didn't have to go to work, when they would start drinking and smoking weed, 
um, like what it was like coexisting in the house with your kids, you know, because it used to be they would go to school and you would go to work and now all of a sudden they're both home. And now your wife who used to like drink a bottle of wine and watch TV while all of you guys were gone, can't do that anymore because all of you guys are at home. What's your office situation like? Are you in your daughter's room or your son's room? Like it, and it became very compelling radio because even though all of that stuff sounds extremely dated right now, you have to remember that back then, like the entire world was going through something brand new. And when you could hear other people talk about what they were doing and it was exactly what you were doing, um, it was very relatable. So we found a way to not only like create content, but create compelling content on top of it. We checked every box to keep going to work and we, we, we made it happen. And we're to this day still very proud of the way that we handled um, the pandemic. And when sports started to come back, there's nobody happier than people that worked in sports media because they had something to talk about, you know? I know that people got really creative over the last year. You can't, in some instances, you can't even go to games, you know, and especially as fans. And here in California, I mean, I was looking at some uh, tickets for Dodgers and Padres over this, uh, one of the past weekends, and oh, dude, like, it was like $200 a ticket for yeah. if you bought them in pairs, right? And for uh-huh. nosebleeds. It was insane. But, of course, you know, you have all the guidelines. I, I totally get it. And I can wait a few months to get some tickets once everything kind of opens back up here in California. But it is what it is. But you guys got really creative. And you were very fortunate enough, obviously, to keep your everyday routine for the most part uh, when everything went down. Um, I know a lot of people weren't, but I imagine that you do have two young kids. Mm-hmm. So how was that? Because now I, I don't know. I, I believe are, are both of them in school now? Like, or, or are they old enough to go to school already? So Alex, this is, I feel bad saying it, but they, they were not old enough to go to school when the pandemic hit and my oldest still isn't going to school until August. So, and my wife stayed home um as soon as we started our family so not only did i get to keep going to work but like the lives of my wife and my kids didn't change and i feel very blessed to say that but it it never was like okay we have to make a giant adjustment here it was like holy crap i can't believe we're getting as lucky as we're getting like my job which i went to five days a week is still allowing me to go Mm -hmm. my wife who stayed home obviously nothing changes for her and my kids who weren't in school to begin with aren't going to have to do school on zoom and be ripped away from their friends and go through that complete traumatizing experience of hey you know that park you used to play in every single day you're not allowed to be there anymore um and i know parents i don't know if you're a parent i apologize for not knowing that Uh, only two cats (laughs) oh hey we can talk about that. Um, I uh, I know parents who like, uh, everyone does, where their kids were just, their lives got completely uprooted. It's not just that like you were home with your kids all day. It was like your poor kids who need the social stimulation of being around other people and being outside. Like, you know, like we're at the age where you put in a work day, you just want to come home, crack a beer and watch TV. Like that, the kids have a motor that, knows no end they just want to run and run forever and when you just say hey you're stuck inside now and you can't see friends that has to be traumatizing for people i'm lucky to say that i never went through any of that and hopefully by august when my oldest does start going to school it's completely back to normal and it's trending that way now 
dude, that's so freaking awesome that you were able to just every day as usual, you know, it's, it's nice yeah. to not have, we're, we're creatures of habit. So when we get, you know, that wrench thrown into it, it throws us off really badly. And then when you add, you know, people are getting sick, there's an actual like real problem. It, it, it really, again, it throws us off. And for yes. me, yeah, for me, like I haven't stepped into a studio since March of last year. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was producing a show back in the Palm Springs market and then boom, done. I, I couldn't go back in because they had somebody else on the show that could produce the show. And I was kind of like the last man standing, unfortunately, but I have a, a job with the college and that was actually like my, my big boy job where I, I was able to pay the bills. So I, no. I was still pretty fortunate on, in that. And now I get to sleep in, right? Like yeah. that's the upside to it. I was being around it, which is, you know, kind of a reason why I do the podcast now, because it lets me take control and creating something. Right. But again, like it just throws people off so badly, but I've, I've been fortunate enough to have my college job where now I'm like, I kind of don't mind being home and working from home. It's, it's actually really cushy. Yeah. Um, I'm totally jealous because there was a, there was a part where like at the beginning I was like, Whoa, I got it better than everyone. And then everyone went home and after they acclimated to it, and they realized like, I haven't put gas in my car in six months. I haven't, I haven't worn like slacks in six months. Um, I'm saving money that I never knew I could save. And I've got this work-life balance that I've never had before. I'm never going back. And uh, <laughs> my company doesn't want me to come back either because they're saving all this money on commercial real estate that they don't have to pay for. You know, they don't have to buy me coffee and 80 other people coffee anymore. So that and they don't have to pay rent or pay for wi-fi anymore so they want us to stay home as well and this is the new normal the new normal is working remotely and i kind of looked around at all my friends who were living this lifestyle and i was like okay you were jealous of me from march to june i'm now jealous of you because (laughs) it's very i don't want to say european because i've never been there but it feels it feels different. It feels now like America, which is rooted in like this, Hey, if you stay open 23 hours, I'm going to stay open 24 hours because I need to get those customers that otherwise wouldn't, you know, have anywhere to go for that one hour. You know, even if it's only $15 in sales, like I got to get that because if I don't get it, somebody else is capitalism, 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 which by the way, built the country and I'm not against it, but you know, we'll, we work ourselves to death. It's like the American way, just work, work, work. And we were on this forced timeout where it's like, hey, go home and just take care of yourself and do as much as you can when you can. And then it turned into, okay, now that we're all getting used to this, here's your work day laid out in front of you. You've got eight hours of work. If you can get it done in three or four hours, you're done. Um, and now imagine that, like, if I gave you eight hours of work to do and you could finish it in four hours from home, I mean, what are you going to do with that newfound time? You're going to go to the gym. You're going to hang with your kids. You're going to go play golf. You're going to work on a passion project, get a side hustle going. It's so conducive if you're working at home to doing so much more stuff in your life. It's the freedom we never knew we could have this entire time. So the fact that you didn't like it at first, but now you like it, not surprising at all. (laughs) And don't blame you at all. 
look at you, dude, you got this studio quality microphone and headphones in front of your face <laughs> and you're doing it from your house. I mean, why, why do you need to drive somewhere to do it when you're doing it right now? Yeah, that's true. And as Americans, we have this weird pissing contest, right? It's like, oh, well, yeah, you, you work 40 hours a week. Well, watch me. I'll make, I'll work 60 hours and work for yeah. minimum wage. I work harder than you. And it's like, why would you do that to yourself? And that's kind of where I was at when I was still back in the station. It's like, I was, I mean, I love working in radio. It's so much fun, but I was overworking myself and not making the time that I needed for it. Mm-hmm. You have this reflection, as you said, and, and, and you kind of look back and you're like, I don't need that. I'm happier now. I can do so many other things. It's right. freaking awesome. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, I still want to get back into the radio station, but I'm, I'm not going to complain with the situation that I have now. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, you will find that balance of, okay, this is what's great about being at home. This is what's great about being around other people, physically touching things, physically being in the same space, shaking hands, um, and having a camaraderie that you can only have in person. And I think we'll all kind of find that balance, you know, I don't think you will or anyone will kind of turn into like a uh, recluse hermit. And I think, you know, that's the extreme. And then on the other extreme, it's like the workaholic that just never goes home. I think we're all going to just, if you play this right, find the balance that we all needed so badly, you know, because we did need this, like, I hate that it came at the expense of 3 million people dying. Everyone does, but there's a silver lining to everything. And I mean, the amount of people that got to spend more time with their family that they never would have spent with their family, the, the, the carbon emissions that never went into the atmosphere when people started to stay home. Um, it, there's, you, you, you could go on and on, like mm-hmm. how many good things have come out of this? which is kind of a testament to like mankind in general, not to get like all crazy deep or anything, but like we had this horrible situation that wasn't completely horrible. Yes, it is horrible and tragic that people died. I don't mean to like take anything away from that at all, but you kind of die twice if people are dying and you aren't personally making your life more balanced at the same time like imagine if like all these people died and like we just kind of turned into horrible people full of anxiety and stress and like didn't do things that made made it better but you've got the you've got the terrible and then you've got the really good and that kind of balances itself out what i'm trying to say is like it would have been a tragedy if like this pandemic just 100 sucked ass instead of 50 percent sucked ass you know yeah it's Kind of like a, you have to get the lessons out of it, right? It's for one, I would not mind if we sanitize stuff, you know, once we come out of this, because you realize people are nasty. Uh-huh. People are really dirty. So I don't mind the sanitize. There, there's things that I hope we keep out of this. And it's just, again, it's all about learning. It's all about learning. And hopefully the learning process for all of us makes you know positive progressive change right i I think that's all we can really hope for and some people aren't gonna want it some people just resist change right it's yeah it's 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 unfortunate it's a reality but it's always a goal to do our part 
to make things better. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more that now we're doing certain things that I think will become permanent change. And I hope that they do. Even something as trivial as like going through the drive-through and instead of handing your card to a person, they hand you the credit card machine. And so they're never touching your card. You're never getting your card back from someone you don't know who touched your card, who has touched a hundred other cards. And you're right. Like the habit of hand sanitizing, um, the fact that people are like opening their doors with the feet, with their feet now, because you've got those new contraptions that are put on doors. So you don't have to like touch them anymore. It's all, this stuff is like, stuff you're right where it's like why weren't we doing this to begin with (laughs) and now you think about all the things that we might prevent in the future too if we implement these changes forever i mean there's nothing i want to do more the number one thing i want to do more than anything and i'm going to ask you this question i'm going to turn in the interview after this the thing i want to do more than anything that we used to be able to do that we don't do now is i want to go to a live concert where you're standing shoulder to shoulder with somebody watching live music without a mask on drinking beer jumping up and down doing all the fun stuff that like at one point just felt like this is never going to go away and then it's been gone for over a year now and all i want to do is go see live music so badly without a mask and without any restrictions and stand like where people are sweating on you and, and, and shit like that. That's what I want more than anything. What do you want more than anything that's been taken away? Oh man, I really just want to go to a Padres game. So mm-hmm. bad, so yeah. bad. And especially now that they're good, like I didn't get to enjoy it last year. I mean, I did from, t- from you know, a screen. But right. this time around, like I want to be there. I want to be at Petco Park and, and enjoy some Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, like I want to be there. And have you know a, a burrito or something? Enjoy some of the some of the uh, brews that they have there. I want that experience again, definitely. Sure. And I guess I'll add one more thing because you know I'm back. I'm from the Coachella Valley, and my wife and I have never gone to Coachella together. Mm-hmm. Um, I we've both been, but we never went as as a couple, and we've been together for ten years. So right. we, I want to do that as well. I want to go have that experience finally, even though we've moved out, but it's not that far. It's, it's a two and a half, three hour drive. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. The Coachella Valley. I, I love, love the desert. Um, I'm going to the desert this weekend, 106 degrees can be insane. Um, <laughs> but our, our uh, golf company is a, that we're totally inspired by the 1950s, 1960s kind of mid-century desert vibe. Um, and the Coachella Valley is, it's a place that's like, and I mean this in the best way, it's stuck in time. Um, mm-hmm. You see some architecture out there in the Santa Rosa mountains and some some classic cars and just, it's just beautiful. It's like, it's, it's as soon as you're driving on the 111 and you get, tucked against the mountains and you're entering Palm Springs and you can drive that thing all the way down to Indio and you just go from city to city, you know, Palm Desert, Indian Wells. It's just like, this place is absolute magic. It's like sprinkled with fairy dust. It's so awesome. Um, it's cool that you live there. And I, I, we, I cherish every time that I get to go out there and yeah, our golf company is, is basically just a giant homage to the mid century, uh, Coachella Valley, for sure. I definitely agree, especially when you start looking at the uh, modern 
the you know the 60s 50s 60s modern uh, architecture it's yeah. it's very intriguing i used to hate it growing up but as i got to be around it a little bit more you know driving to the radio station and doing more things in palm springs i appreciated it a little bit more cuz i i'm from indio so uh-huh. it doesn't quite have that uh that unique style on that mm-hmm. end of the valley but i began to appreciate it a little bit more and uh, your your golf company nation golf um i have checked it out several times and it's you know it's very you know bob hope uh yeah. style obviously yeah. um and for those that don't know bob hope did did have a very massive home in palm springs right there on top of one of the uh uh well, uh, up a mountain. It was really, really cool. It's perched, uh, amazing. When I looked at the photos on the website, um, I, I was looking at Indian Wells Country Club, and I, yeah. I've never played there, but I, I think I stayed at their hotel once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I stayed at their hotel once. So that was uh, really cool. Kind of looking back at home, and I'm like, I know those mountains. I know exactly where that is. Um, but uh, what's your best, uh, best round? Um, my best round was at Alhambra golf course, which is in Northeast Los Angeles. It's a very easy course. I don't think there's any, there's no such thing as easy golf because <laughs> I mean, golf is hard. Go to a putt putt course and try to shoot under par. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's like, it's a dumb game. How hard it is. Oh, yeah. There's no such thing as easy golf, but if there's an easy course, it's Alhambra. Like there's not a lot of trouble. There's no water. Um, and I shot a 76 there, but that was that a lot of my friends who play would tell me that that's a bullshit 76 because of where it happened. <laughs> I contend you still have to hit the ball and make the putts and everything. It was just a really good day at a really easy course. So take that for what it's worth. But I will say like our kind of philosophy is it's a whole lot less about how you play and more just kind of what kind of guy you are to play with. Are you the kind of guy that after we finish 18 holes, you're like, damn, I can't wait to do that again. In fact, I wish we were going out and for 36. Like, are you the type of guy that brings the cigars and the beers? Are you the type of guy that like has the, the banter and the camaraderie going, you know, golf is one of these things where it's like, it's the, it's the last thing in the world where you're going to be outside with your friends for five hours. You know, what other thing are you doing? How often are you going like camping? Not that often. That's like a once every couple of years thing. Maybe if you're even into camping golf is like, Hey, I can do this once or twice a month. And I get to be with like my best friends for a extended amount of time outside. And we're just playing like a glorified drinking game because that's the, that's the thing about golf is it is a game it's not a sport. If you can drink beer and have a cigar hanging from your mouth, it's not a sport. It's a game. Hey, and hey, everyone- hey, 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 I played, I played varsity golf. I'm yeah. just saying. Did you go pro? No, I wish. Okay. I yeah. Wish. <laughs> so very, very few people are able to turn it into a sport and oh, God bless them for it. I watch those people on Sundays, but for the rest of us, it's a game. And games are the most fun thing in the world. Like we all love games. We all love cornhole. We all love pool. We all love darts. We all love these things. And why? Because you can do them while drinking a beer, while being unathletic, while not breaking a sweat. Like if you're telling someone, Hey, you can go out for five hours with your friends, have a few pops, smoke some cigars, 
and you're not going to be sore for a week afterwards. And you're going to be, what, what do guys want to do more than anything besides sex is they want to like aim something and like hit something. That's all <laughs> golf is. Like we love basketball and golf and football. Like, like, why do you, why, why do you want to play catch with somebody? You know, because it's like, I get to throw something. I get to aim it. Like that's what, that's, that's all it is. It's like us guys, we're, we're so primitive in the best way. It's like, just if, if I, if I crumpled up a piece of paper and gave it to you, the first thing you're going to do is look for a trash can to like shoot it into, you know? Yep. That's what golf is 18 times. You just get to <laughs> shoot something into something and you get to drink beer while doing it. That's why it's fun. It's not fun because of like the scorecard. It's fun because you you get to have a great time with your friends outside which is very important being outside mm. and you get to aim something at something yeah and that's it you know oh yeah it's i actually have only gotten to play one round since mm-hmm. the pandemic and it was actually a few weeks ago before i i moved um where'd you play i only played at the indio municipal you know part three course that's where i've had my best 18 mm-hmm. i shot three over there and nice. then uh, my best nine was at uh, Rancho Las Palmas in uh, Rancho Mirage, and I shot a two under in nine Sweet. there. So I mean, I'm I'm I just subtle flex, right? But it's been oh, a while. Yeah. Like it's been a while. I don't get to play all that often now. But funny enough, I will be in the desert this weekend as well. Got to finish up some stuff. But I mean, look, really? I'm I'm always I always have my golf clubs. I nice. always have them. Just just as a heads up, just to let you know. Good. Um, so it's it's definitely a fun sport and yeah like you drive around in the cart you heard game game excuse me uh for 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 this i'll say game but Uh um you know have a drink or two right like there's nothing like it it's a lot of fun and i wish i as i think about it more i wish i could do it a little bit more often and maybe i should i think you've convinced me that i have to get back to it the problem right now alex is Everyone who didn't play is now playing again. And or I'm sorry, everyone that stopped playing is now playing again. And everyone who didn't play started because yeah. last year in June, two months into the pandemic, golf was way ahead of everything mm-hmm. in terms of being ruled as a safe activity. And everyone's like, okay, instead of dying in my house, I'm going to go play golf. Um, and not everyone has a house. A lot of people have like crappy studio apartments and this pandemic was a lot harder on them than people who had some space. And so they were very, they had their hands up in the air and like, I'll play golf. Have you played before? Nope. But I'll go play right now because I just need to get the hell out of my house and do something. <laughs> yeah. So now all those people, cause everyone knows this, as soon as you play golf, once you're hooked for life, it's the greatest game ever. So now it's deadly impossible to get like a decent tea time in Southern California. It is yeah. so frustrating. You pull into the parking lot of any golf course at any time of the day. It is just overrun with jackasses who just are unloading their clubs from the car. And it's, it's like, you, it sucks, man. Like it used to be like, you could hit this thing, right? Get a good twilight round maybe take a day off from work, go in the morning or whatever. Well, here's the thing. No one's going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. So you taking a day off from work doesn't do anything because everyone's taking the last 12 months off from work. And like I mentioned, the people that are getting their work done or who can put it off now because they're working from home, they're going and hitting the golf course. Yeah. Like it used to be special to play around on a weekday. Like, Hey, I'm, 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 
I'm skipping work. Let's go play. <laughs> now it's like the whole world is skipping work. And like a Tuesday at 10 in the morning is like a Saturday at 10 in the morning. It's just like, God, where did all these people come from? It's super hard to, to get out there now. It's, it's really annoying. Well, the bright side to it is golf was, I mean, some would say it was dying out a little bit because there was a lot of, there was a dip. There was a definite dip in uh, how many people were playing and especially yeah. in youth. Youth golf was taking a nice decline before the pandemic. I don't know yeah. what it looks like now because, of course, kids may not be able to get the lessons that they once could or maybe they now can. But uh-huh. overall, like adults, yeah, it's taken off like crazy. Like when I look, I've been using, you know, golf now to see what's open. And it's like the only things available are like 530. And I'm like, yeah. why Why am I going to go out for 10 bucks and hit like one or two holes? Like. I'm not, that's, that's it. That's yeah. it. It's, it's, I, I use golf now as well. And for those that don't know, that's the website that aggregates all these tee mm-hmm. times and you just punch in your zip code and it'll tell you what course has what tee time open. It's, it's a great site, but it's impossible to get anything decent on golf now. Um, and you know, there's this huge movement to grow the game and everything. Right. No, I mean, if you're going to grow the game, grow it the right way it doesn't need to be grown for the sake of growing it. You don't need to just be like, Hey, let's add in as many people as possible because that's all of a sudden a good thing for the game because now there's a million people playing instead of a hundred thousand. Those new 900,000 need to know like why this game is great and how to keep it great. And when I go to the golf course now and I see these jackasses in shorts, and hoodies who are, you know, dropping a second ball in the tee box between like pulling off a vape sig and just like <laughs> nozzle rocketing 150 yards the other way and just laughing and like blaring shitty Drake out of their cart. It's like, dude, this ain't growing the game, dude. This is growing. This is like, this is hurting the game. And it's not because I'm some like old school guy who's like, get off my lawn and everything. I'm 33, but like the golf course is a place you go because everyone else out there who's like respecting it the way that you are and and respect is not a bad thing respect is a good thing like if you respect golf and the game and the golf course and the fact that like somebody woke up at three in the morning to go mow all those acres of land so you could have your own personal disneyland for five hours like where you get to like play on the nicest manicured grass like somebody did that for you somebody cut the cup for you at a certain location somebody raked the bunkers somebody put the t markers there like that was all done for you right all you have to do is trade 40 50 60 bucks to go play on this perfectly manicured land and you come out there and you treat it like shit and you treat everyone else around you like shit because oh yeah i mean i, I got my hoodie on and i've got my shorts and my drake playing and i'm i'm loading up four balls from the tee box I, I, I don't know anything about this game. I'm just going to shit all over it. I can't stand those people, Alex. Those are the people <laughs> who are out on the golf course right now. Those are the people that like, you know, when you say grow the game, like let's make this game younger and everything. No, let's make this game like, let's preserve what makes it great. Let's not just shit all over it for the sake of like adding people to the golf course because I'll be the first to tell you, we don't need more people out there. There's enough people out there. I I have, so to take it to the other extreme, so there's those people that I think, you know, if you're going to go to a golf course, go to like a small executive course where a lot of beginners go and, you know, mm-hmm. learn, right? Yeah. But what I hate just as much as 
anything else is the people that take it way too seriously. And like, I take myself seriously when I'm playing, but that's just me. Right. But I'll, I'll take, you know, two practice swings and then go hit the ball. But there's a people that will go ahead and do three, four practice swings, then go behind the ball again and then take another two, three. I'm like, bro, just take two and you're good. If you have to take a third one. Okay. Just hit the ball. Right. It's we're here to have fun. And if you're, in front of me and you're just holding this up when I already know there's nobody in front of you. Like I'm almost tempted to drive your direction. <laughs> like I, I won't do it because I'm, I don't want to get into any trouble. I'm, I'm a good boy, but right. there's still right. that temptations. Like just, just hit the ball. Just, just get it over with. Couldn't agree with you more. Pace of play is a big thing. I mean, you just have to walk this balance of like respecting what we have, which is what we have, I've already laid out, is this amazing playground to do this amazing activity. Respect that. And then respect the other people that are there, the people that are behind you and the people that are in front of you. Pace of play is very important. You're not on tour. Nobody ever needs to step behind their ball, close one eye and like point their iron at the hole. No one ever needs to do that. You're 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 gonna hit it the same way as if you didn't do that. Just just let's go. Let's keep it moving. Let's 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 just play this thing with a little bit of pace. You know, I'm not saying like run up to your ball and hit it, but like you said, you don't need to take three practice swings and a whole routine, you know? Yeah. If you did, you would be on tour. You wouldn't be at the municipal course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just have fun. Go out, have fun. Yeah. And speaking of activities, are, are you still going out on uh, your tennis dates? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> so the thing with tennis, do you play tennis? Uh, not really. I mean, I've, I've played it before, but I don't, I mean, not consistently. Okay. So that's like one of those sports where it's incredibly difficult to like continue to play because it's hard to find somebody to play with. Not a lot of people play it. And worse than that is when you find somebody who does play it, if you guys aren't on equal skill level, it doesn't work because tennis is so dependent on the other guy, um, that you're hitting to because if they can't get it back then it's the most miserable hour and a half you're ever going to spend out on a court if they smoke you on every single shot and you're the guy who can't get it back then you're making it miserable for them and you're not having that much fun yourself so you got to be able to find not only someone who plays but somebody who plays in your area and Mm -hmm. somebody who's like at your skill level so you guys can like rally and everything you know what i mean like when we're talking about golf, all that matters is you and the course. When we're talking about tennis, it's like you don't get that ball back unless the person on the other side hits it back to you. And it can be a miserable experience. So, you know, I found this website that paired people together and it was very Tinder-esque in the sense of like, <laughs> you look at someone's picture, you look at their bio, you look where they live, you look like well, how what their skill level is and like you check them and they like agree to meet you it's it's very like social dating-esque you know even though it's not a date it's a tennis thing you know but i described it as tennis tinder because that's what i imagined tinder would be like um and most of the people i would meet on that website were older (laughs) and so um because it's kind of an old guy sport yeah the the young guys are at like country clubs and everything or they're teaching at colleges Mm -hmm. so like it's the old guys who want to get some cardio and some exercise. And yeah, I would hang out with them and everything. The thing with tennis, the reason I stopped doing it is I'm kind of like one or the other. I'm either all into golf or all into tennis Mm. and I'll switch like every six months or so. 
Okay. Um, because both of those sports screw up your back hard, you know, mm -hmm. like the tennis thing, you're just like whipping it kind of one handed golf. You're playing from one side of the ball the entire time. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. And me, I sit all day because of the job. And right. yeah, it's just like, you're getting older and everything and you're holding kids all day. And like, what are you going to commit to? And then I run as well. And I think the last time I stopped playing tennis was because I was getting ready for the LA marathon. I remember that. And yeah. And I stopped because like, if your back is not in like good shape for running, it just, it crushes you. And so you gotta like, you gotta take the injury aspect out of training for a marathon because you're putting in like 14, 15, 18 mile runs on the weekend. And if you're in bad shape for that, you're screwed, you know? Yeah. I remember when, uh, cause I know you've talked about the tennis tinder a few times on the show, but I oh, remember yeah. the one where, uh, and I actually just, I remember listening to it live and then I just listened to it again today. And it's where you kind of in, come into it and you talk about, you know, you go out and meet guys on the internet, strange and, old men on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jim's like, you do what? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it was just every time I listen to it, it's funny. Another thing before I let you go, that always makes me laugh when I listen to the show is whenever you're introduced and the quack plays. Uh -huh. every time I, it just gets me every freaking yeah. time. And yeah. it's, it's so amazing. The way that you guys produce that show is so freaking amazing. And that's why it's one of the best of the best. And that's why, you know, Jim Rome is a radio hall of famer. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, it's cool to hear that because we just do the show for ourselves in that room. Like we obviously have no idea how the audience is reacting because it's just the four of us in that room. And, you know, there are things that like we think work and there are things that we think don't work. And then it's interesting, like to hear like what resonates with people, like whether it's just a funny drop that just gets you every time. I think a lot of people anticipate drops and when it goes the way that they anticipate, it makes them very, very happy. Um, before I worked on the Jim Rome show, I would listen to it all the time. And then I produced a local show that would air after the Jim Rome show and we carried it. So while I'm producing the local show or prepping for it, I should say the Jim Rome show is like playing because it's on our station, right? Like it comes on after what we're doing. So it's playing and I'm like doing my work for my show. And, you know, I would hear him go out to the phones and it would be, um, uh, slash and Brentwood, right? Mm -hmm. And you know that this guy is going to tell like an insane OJ Simpson joke that will get him run. And the entire point of the phone call is to get run. Right. And this is before I worked on the show, but like when you know someone is like ramping up just to get run, if you know that as a listener, you're kind of on the edge of your seat, like, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. Yep. And then that's not a good call. And you're like, Yes. It's like, it's so <laughs> like, you can't wait for that moment. And when the moment pays off the way that you want it to, or the way that you think it's going to, it like really hits you because like, yeah, I'm on the inside. Yeah. I knew that was coming. Yeah. That, that, that went exactly the way I wanted it to, or thought it would the same way. Like, you know, if I'm introduced on the air and you hear the, the squawk, you know, whether it's yeah. like, I don't know which squawk you like, do you like the Hawk one or the Jim Rome doing the Hawk one? Uh, I think it's the Jim Rome doing the hawk. Okay, yeah, yeah. Jim does a wah, wah, wah. Like he like yeah. does it himself. Yeah. 
So if like you're expecting that and it happens, like it's really funny. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of being a listener to the, to the Jim Rome show was expecting something to happen and it happening. When you can deliver on people's expectations, that's a good thing. Like you don't always have to like misdirect or anything. If you and I walked into a sushi restaurant, like we want sushi, like right. bring us sushi. You don't walk. Like I like, we, we like burgers, but if we go to a sushi place and they bring out burgers, we're going to be like, what the hell, you know, like <laughs> deliver on people's expectations. Like if you right. expect to hear a drop in a certain spot, you should hear it. If you expect to hear someone get run, you should hear it. Like, I love when Rex in Albuquerque calls because I know he's going to get run and I know he's just, he's just bullshitting until he gets to his run line. It's just like fodder, fodder, fodder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build up, build up, build up. Boom. You know, uh, but it's that, I'm playing it, it in my head. I'm playing it. I don't like that call. Not a very good exactly. call. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's one of my favorite parts of the show is guys getting run. I think I like bad calls more than I like good calls. I think I like, edgy emails better than thoughtful emails like i've always kind of considered myself the most clone friendly producer and um that's been my reputation for a while is just like putting clone content on the show that i don't think you know might not have gotten the look that it got before i got there just because i kind of like the chaos of it I, i like the the run calls and the edgy emails and stuff that's like dancing on the line. It might be a little bit over it, you know? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I totally get that. And, uh, two things for one, um, I got a lot of inspiration from the show, uh, Mm -hmm. when I started producing my own show. And one of the things like one of, one of the really ones that I loved using is, um, one of the hosts was, um, a big Britney Spears fan. (laughs) So every time he would mention Britney Spears, I just have the leave Britney alone clip ready at the ready. Just little things like that, that again, that's all that stuff that I implemented in my everyday show. I got from Jim Rome from you guys, because it was, I just loved it so much. And just the timing was so perfect. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to emulate that. So you guys inspired me. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Um, I really, I, I think that's incredible to hear that's legacy stuff right there. If Jim is inspiring the next generation and you're kind of taking that, making it your own, um, I, that's great. That's how, that's how legacies live on. And mm-hmm. I, at the end of the day, like nothing is original. Everything has been done before. Um, but if you can like take an idea and then just put like the Alex spin on it. And by the time that you're doing it 10 years from now, it's it's become your own thing. And people listening to you are like, wow, Alex is inspiring me with these drops. Like I'm going to use them, you know, like that's, that's how stuff just gets passed down. We're all inspired by the people that do it the best. You know, Jim was inspired by people before he was Jim. He was inspired by Bob Costas and uh, Ian Rather and Tom Brokaw. And now mm-hmm. you're inspired by Jim. I wonder who you'll inspire later. Like, it just gets passed down. The best of the right. best pass it down, which is really cool. Um, and we're all kind of like imitating our favorites. Yeah. That's what we do. Like you, you're a huge baseball fan, right? Yeah. At some point, like the first time you picked up a bat, you didn't pick it up your way. You picked it up probably the way of your favorite baseball player. Like I know when I first picked up a bat, I was right-handed, but I immediately went to the left side of the plate and did the, Ken Griffey Jr. right away. 
you know, like that's what we do. We, we imitate what we love. That's a testament to the people who did it before us for sure. So that's really cool to hear that. Like you use some Jim Rome inspiration on your stuff. That's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, not, not just Jim Rome himself, you know, it's, it's both you and Alvin, right? Like the things that you guys do. And that's why when I, when I reached out to you, I want to know more about you because this is something that I've been doing. I mean, at a much smaller level, but I want to know, like, I want to talk to you about it because at some level I can relate. Totally. I, and by the way, I actually think that the level of which I work at, a lot of it has to do with like opportunity, luck and timing. So I would say that you and I are on the same level because we both work in radio. That's all that really matters is like, you know what it's like to go in and start a live show, what it means to hit the stop set, to hit the network out, to get client sponsors read when they're supposed to be read. Like, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. It doesn't matter who you're producing. It just matters that you're producing. I mean, you happen to live in India and I happen to live in Los Angeles. Like I got my opportunity a lot I think a lot of people get their opportunity based on like circumstances that um, are happenstance, Yeah, you know, like I obviously like worked hard and interviewed well and had previous experience and all that stuff. But I also like happened to live close and happened to know people that knew the people I needed to know. And so like, I appreciate what you're saying, but at the same time, like I know you're a radio guy you know, and I know like there was a, there was the stuff I did before I did Jim. Um, it, it, it was, you want to talk about low level, dude, like NBC sports radio producing shows that I knew absolutely not a soul in the world were listening to producing weekend programming that like went on the internet. And like, I had to tell my mom, like, Hey, can you call in? So we have a caller, you know, like all of this stuff, it's all important because it leads you to your final destination, to the top of the mountain, to wherever you're going. But the thing is like, even when I was doing that crappy stuff back in the day, all of that was very important to what I'm doing now. Like I learned the nuts and bolts of it, you know? So like producing a show in Palm Springs to me is no different than producing the Jim Rome show. It really isn't because had you have gotten this opportunity, you would have taken it and run with it and crushed it. It's about just knowing radio, you know? Yeah. And knowing like what's good and what's entertaining and how to do a show. And um, yeah, basically I respect a lot that you have experienced doing this because whether you're doing it where you did or where I did it, 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 it's the same to me. No, that that's, you know, perspective. It adds perspective for sure. And it's, I guess the, the same job, just different uh, markets, right? And then different audience. Different, different places, that's it. Yep, different places, different audience. You could do your best work ever and no one hears it. And you can do your worst work ever and everybody hears it. I did some of my best stuff ever and no one will ever, I don't even remember it because it just, it went out to nowhere, you know, mm-hmm. like, it was funny. It was creative. I put my heart and soul into it and it, it aired to like a hundred thousand people. You do something for Jim and I mean, you're on a massive, massive stage and everybody hears it. And it's, there is something totally validating and gratifying about that. It keeps you sharp. You do your best stuff every single day. 
and like you, you you know as a guy that works in this business you want your best stuff to be heard you don't want to be working this hard on stuff that's not heard so when you can do something great and like you get instant validation and twitter just starts going bloop, 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 and the emails are coming in and the phones are ringing you're like yes dude it's great but just because that's not there doesn't mean that you didn't crush it. You know, it just means that the audience wasn't there. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with your market, your program director, your uh, transmitter signal. There's so many circumstances that can prevent like really talented people from getting the kind of exposure and run that they deserve. Yeah. Moral of the story is just do your best, put your best yeah. foot forward in whatever you do. Right. That's, that's what it's all oh. about. Hawk. Thank you so much so 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 much plug yourself in uh, nation golf everything oh i appreciate that so yeah i'm uh, on twitter at i'm adam hawk i am a-d-a-m-h-a-w-k that's twitter and instagram besides the gym rome thing um i also own a golf apparel company celebrating the golden era of golf very desert inspired where alex is from and yeah that's at nation golf on instagram at nation golf and then uh, nationgolfco.com and yeah that's uh that's about it just nation golf and gym realm right now awesome thanks again adam hawk it's so weird calling you adam <laughs> all good alex i appreciate you having me thanks for letting me come on and ramble i really appreciated the conversation i think you you get it like you know what this whole thing is about you asked some awesome questions I'm happy that like your quality of life is exactly where you want it to be and that you're getting a lot of work done from home uh, say what up to the two cats for me. As you know, I'm a big time cat guy. I got a cat cat too. And yeah, dude, this was a pleasure to meet you and to be on your show, dude. You, you, you're an awesome conversationalist. Well, thank you. You got it, dude. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of Candidly Human. A huge thanks to Adam Hawk for joining us for this episode and to you, the listener, for giving this a listen for all the support. Make sure you go ahead and check out candidlyhuman.com. There you can find all of the episodes or check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, and many, many more. Make sure you follow Candidly Human on social media. Just look up Candidly Human on Facebook or on Instagram and Twitter. It's at CandidlyHumanUS. Or give me a follow on all of those platforms as well as Twitch. All you have to do is look up The Real Satarain. So make sure you tune in next time. I'm Alex Satarain, and this was Candidly Human.